0: Amen. Well, God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Aren't you thankful for the love of God? I tell you, there's such an anointing on that song. I, can, I don't know about you, but there's times when you just throw songs like that on and you just sit, sit and you receive yes. and you soak in the love and the presence of God because we all need to be reminded. Because life is hard, relationships, there's hardness to it, but there's not a hardness to God. When you get in his presence, you experience that softness, that gentleness. It kind of takes the edge off of you and off of your life where you can just become gentle. You can become sober-minded, and you can be reminded of this great truth of how much God loves us. Well, we are in week four of our series, Unleashing the Gospel. And I pray that through this, my challenge with you has been the last several weeks is that you would share the gospel with somebody. That we looked at a statistic that it said 97% of Christians have never shared their faith with, another, with someone outside of the church, outside of knowing him. So I pray that that statistic would be under 5% here by the time we're done with this series. Why not say 100% uh, that we've all shared the gospel with someone? But there's something amazing, as I shared, when you begin to move out in love, how the Holy Spirit will empower you with his gifts for what you need right when you need it. He's that good of a father and he doesn't, when you ask for bread, he doesn't give you a stone, right? We see that in scripture. And so this morning, I pray that as you're in your quiet times and as we, the title of the message this morning is how to welcome the Holy Spirit, how to welcome the Holy Spirit, that there is a a relationship that is available to us with the Holy Spirit and it's revealed in scripture of how we're to welcome him in our lives. Show of hands who would like to know a little bit more of how to welcome the Holy Spirit or how to be reminded or refreshed. So I pray this morning that as you just evaluate your life, as you look at your relationship with God, that we would live lives that are welcoming to His presence, that are welcoming to His Holy Spirit. As I was praying this week and as I was just thinking on uh, this message, I was Reminded of encounters with His presence that I've had in my life, and I pray that you revisit a lot of those moments where you experience the reality of who He is. And the song that you know, that better is one day in His courts than thousands elsewhere, is when you experience His presence. Every other thing that you put your hope in, your trust in, it literally just dissolves and falls away because you realize the reality of how good He is and how much you want Him in your life. But I came across this video and it's from the movie Son of God. And I really I wanted to set us up where I believe God wants to take us this morning but I could read the story to you but there's something about it when you visualize. Anybody a visual learner? If you're like me you learn visually. Me and my wife both are visual learners. Um, But this is the story of when Peter was called by Jesus And what I want you to see through this is that every time Jesus comes and asks us this question, to follow me, that it's not just a one-time question, that he asks us to follow him each and every day of our lives. The gospel beckons us to take up our cross, to deny ourselves, and to follow him. It's not a one-time thing, but it is every day, each and every morning, us waking up and choosing to walk in the Spirit not in the flesh, and to follow him for whatever he has for us today. But I want you to watch this. I want you to just revisit it, and then I want to really preach from it in a preach of how to welcome the Holy Spirit. Let's check this out. build up a little anticipation for you guys here. <laughs> you guys just give me a thumb up, thumbs up when you got it back there, okay? While they're getting that together, we'll just keep moving forward here. It's always fun when you begin to really preach messages like this. Always little interruptions that want to try to get in the way. But what I want you to see about following Jesus is that what Jesus says, and here's where I want to go with it, and then we'll revisit that because I really want you to see it, is that when it comes to following Jesus, what we see in Scripture is that Jesus never promises us when we follow him that it would be easy, right? He never says it's going to be easy, but what he does say is take heart, I've overcome, but you're going to experience trial, you're going to experience tribulation, there's going to be suffering, there's going to be pain, but what we have as believers is a hope that he can turn pain into purpose. In every situation, whatever the pain is we are facing and dealing with, he can take the pain and turn it into purpose in our lives. My heart this morning is when we welcome the Holy Spirit, is that we wouldn 't allow pain, we wouldn 't allow circumstance, trial, tribulation to rob us from welcoming his presence in our lives, because the enemy wants to use the pain and rob the purpose of it. he wants to use it to draw you away from him instead of you running to him. The Holy Spirit is the best gift we ever have been given in this life that uh, several weeks ago would be when the church celebrates Pentecost, the, the coming, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the, the, where you see in the upper room where fire fell upon the apostles. And what we have to realize is that Pentecost is a reality we're to live in, the reality of knowing his presence, the reality of knowing the Holy Spirit. And when it comes to knowing the Holy Spirit, the Bible teaches us that it's to look like Christ. Okay, you guys got it? All right, awesome. Well, let's uh, tune back in and then we'll finish, finish up what we're talking about here. This is the call of Peter. Do you need help? I'm not looking for any help. And besides, there's nothing to help with. Hey! You can't just climb into my boat. Yeah, you're right helping him what do you think you're doing we're going fishing there are no fish out there this time of day in fact there are no fish out here any time of day Peter Just give me an hour, and I will give you a whole new life. Who says I want one? I'm telling you, there's no fish out there. How did this happen? What did you do? I'm giving you the chance to change your life. Peter, come with me. Give up catching fish and I will make you a fisher of men. What are we going to do? The world. Come on, doesn't that get you excited this morning that when the call of Jesus comes, he beckons us to get out of the boat, to leave our nets behind, and to go and to change the world. What I want you to see through this and what I want you to know about Jesus Specifically in Acts 16, 7 and many other places in scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. So if you want to know more about who the Holy Spirit is, his personality, his likes, his dislikes, look at who Jesus is because the Spirit that was with Jesus when he was on the earth was the same Spirit that is given to you and us today through Pentecost. So when you, what is amazing about the Holy Spirit, and and I've seen this play out in my life and it's just truth is that the Holy Spirit intensifies who Jesus is in your life. He brings the the reality or the fleshing out of when you read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit intensifies that, and you begin to see Jesus become transformed in your life and transformed in the world around you. You see, the thing with the Holy Spirit as well is He's the means that Jesus gives us to transform our life. He's the tool. He's the person of what He desires. That's why when Jesus went to heaven... When he ascended and he was looking at the apostles, he said, it is better that I go because I'm sending you a helper, a paraclete, uh, one that will be with you, one that will indwell in you. Because Jesus could physically only be so many places. But guess what? Jesus is filling this room in each and every one of us. That Jesus only had one set of lips, one set of hands, one set of feet. But through the infilling of the Holy Spirit when he's in you, he has more mouths to preach. He has more feet to take the gospel, more hands to bring charity into the world. When you begin to see the reality that what I want you to get, that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus, that he intensifies who Jesus is so that you can begin to see him fleshed out in your life and fleshed out in the world around you. Now what we also see through this is Peter obviously was reluctant about another man getting into his boat, but when Jesus operated in a word of knowledge and said his name, that's when he's like, okay, how does this guy know my name? Another side note, when you read any story of Jesus involved in fishing. Usually the apostles or those he's encountering in the gospels are never catching any fish. Like if you look at the apostles and the accounts we have in, in the word of God, they're awful fishers. They're never, they're never catching anything, but when Jesus shows up, they catch a plentiful and a bounty. So if you're into fishing, by the way, it's a biblical sport, so you're in good company as well. But what we need to see through Peter allowing Christ to come into his boat, the miracle of the catching of all the fish is that we have the ability to either welcome Christ into our lives, to welcome the Holy Spirit, or we have the ability to reject him. If you look at the, the state of the church today, or if you look at the state of maybe friends and family that you may have, there's those that reject him and there's those that welcome him. When it comes to having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, we have to welcome him into our lives. Now, what you see there, Jesus still goes into the boat because Jesus has a reckless way about him. When we see his reckless love, he has a way of always coming after us. But see, Peter could have denied and said, this is crazy, this is weird, I'm not going to follow through. We all have that free will and that free choice. But what I want you to see, once you're called, Then it becomes a a place of then stepping out and trusting that calling, walking in courage, being brave, and trusting that the Holy Spirit's with you to step out and to be all who God has called you to be. I believe we undervalue him. We rely too much. There's times in my life I rely too much on what I know or myself, and we put him in a box when he's saying, let me out, let me flourish in your life, let me uh, empower you and motivate you. The Holy Spirit is the best gift that we have. In my heart, as we would always be a church that would welcome him no matter what, no matter what the culture says, no matter what uh, different theology says about him, that we would always have a knowing and an understanding that he is always welcome here and that he would be welcome in your life this morning. I want you to see a passage of scripture when in Mark 5, 13, I mentioned this in the story in our gospel story on Easter Sunday, but it's the story of the man who was uh, possessed by a demon. Backstory, he would cut himself and he would mutilate himself and he was cast off by himself in a cave because no one in the town, no one in the village knew how to heal this man. He was an outcast, he was forgotten, and he was isolated. Jesus steps and gets in the boat, he crosses to this island and encounters this man. Now, the crazy thing about the story is that it said a legion of of 2,000 demons were cast out of him and into the pigs, into the swine, and the swine then ran over the cliff. But I was rereading the story, and there was uh, something began rolling over in me and really jumped off the pages of Scripture. This is what I want you to see in Mark 5, 13, and then I'll stop us where we see something about rejecting Christ. Look what it says. It says, He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Verse 17, this is really what I want you to see. It says, and the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So they saw what had just taken place. And again, if you're in the marketplace or a a businessman and you see 2,000 of your swine run over the cliff, you would probably want Jesus out of your town as well. But what I want you to see here is the principle is that they were too caught up in the liability. They were too caught up in the business that they had lost when they had the son of God on their town and in their region that they couldn't see beyond what just took place, that a man possessed by a demon was healed, was set free, and was was dressed and in his right mind, and they were what just took place. But look what it says. They said that they had pleaded with Jesus. So you've pleaded with someone before they were literally begging him to get out of their town what you need to see and what we need to understand is there's times in our lives and there's there's christians whether they realize it or not that in a way live lives that plead for jesus to get away that plead for the whole that reject the work of the holy spirit in their lives now here's what's amazing because we don't want to be identified as a people or a group that pleads with jesus to leave look at what happens In verse 20, verse 21, Jesus gets in the boat and goes to the other side. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So when he got to the other side, there was a group that wanted him, that embraced him, that accepted him and wanted to hear what had just taken place. So again, I want you just to examine your life, your motives your actions, your thoughts, your words, and your deeds, do they reject him or do they receive him? The Bible is full of stories that we could go through this morning, but I wanted you to see that one in particularly. Three points I wanna give you, Sean, if you put them up on the screen, of what it looks like to welcome the Holy Spirit, that we not reject him, but that we accept him. The first one is considering his preferences. How you know the Holy Spirit has likes and dislikes? That he has preferences? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.30 that we not grieve him. You ever grieve someone? You ever disappointed someone? The Holy Spirit has those emotions, those feelings. Number two is consider his presence. That we would live lives always considering the presence of God. That we would keep it in front of us and foremost in our minds and in our thoughts. Number three is to consider his voice. The Bible says and refers to the Holy Spirit that he speaks in a still, small voice. That's where you get um, the, the theology of hearing the Holy Spirit as a gentleman or that he uh, it has a way of gently that you have to quiet yourself to hear him. Yes. Now, the amazing thing about quieting yourself, and really this is where your prayer life comes in, because your prayer life is the greatest way that you welcome the Holy Spirit. And many times we confuse prayer for I have to tell God everything that's going on when he's saying, if you want more of me, quiet yourself, still yourself, and hear my voice, hear my still small voice. I've heard it said too that stillness always precedes revelation. If you want revelation from God, you have to quiet yourself and you have to still yourself to hear him. He's always speaking. We're usually the ones not listening. And so we see these three great points of, of he, welcoming him in our lives with his preferences. And I want to get into Colossians chapter 3 and really preach it and show it to you this morning. But again, I want before we go there, I want you, Sean, if you could put up our, our definition of evangelization. We shared with you on this several weeks ago that when the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to be outpoured, in our country and in our churches. This is what all denominations came together and said this is what we wanna see take place. Again, I wanna read it to you. It's the uniqueness of your mission is that you would first evangelize and that you would sanctify your world. I said to you earlier in the message that the Holy Spirit is the means in which you and I are transformed. Second is that you would engage. So stop running, stop bowing in fear, engage in temporary affairs and renew them according to God's plan. See, this is what, when Jesus says, we're going to change the world to Peter, this is what he says to you and I when he calls us. This is what he desires for us to do, the broad mission of that. And then when you get and you make it smaller and you make it more local into your lives, it's going into your workplace, it's going into your homes, it's sanctifying evangelizing it and then going into your world and renewing it according to God's plan. The Holy Spirit is not complicated. Jesus is not complicated. He's, but see, it becomes complicated when you begin rejecting him in different parts of your life because he, he's all, an all or nothing kind of God. He's not a lukewarm God. He's not a ride the fence kind of God. He wants everything of your life. And that's why in the cycle of the first week, That's why we need the Holy Spirit when we're in the place of being restored because of what Jesus has done through salvation and being restored to God's perfect plan. That's why we need his spirit because it's his spirit is what transforms us. It's what uh, kills the flesh when you read Romans 8 and Romans chapter 5. He's the one that uh, allows that transformation to take place in your life. I want you to see in considering his presence We see in the Gospels what I shared with you in Matthew 9, 35, and I shared a portion of it, but I want to really get into it here and then really preach again from Colossians 3. Look what it says. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. I want to pause there before verse 36 and give you this truth as well because you have to understand this and the Holy Spirit's role to really understand of what our lives are to look like. Hear this right here. Everything Jesus was anointed to do here on earth, the Holy Spirit continues to do for and through you. Everything the Holy Spirit, everything Jesus was anointed to do here on earth, the Holy Spirit wants to continue to do for you and through you. So the Holy Spirit is the continuation of Jesus's ministry. And he's the one who fills you and empowers you to then go and do it. You're then Jesus on the earth. You're then Jesus in your home. It's really a beautiful thing. And so reading the scripture, now seeing that this is what Jesus did when he was on earth. Look what it goes on to say in verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, when Jesus saw the sinners, when he saw the crowds, he was actually given a name. He was a friend of sinners. That's how the Pharisee would refer to him, that he was a friend to sinners. So when Jesus saw sinners, and this is where we have to check ourselves. When Jesus saw those in sin away from God, his first instinct was not to judge and to condemn, but it was to love. And as the setting here. Jesus is setting up as he saw them as harassed and helpless by the things of the world or by the flesh. Or he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. So they were lost, they were broken, they needed a shepherd. And when I read this, I think to myself, how many times am I quick to judge someone before seeing them as a sheep without a shepherd and maybe extending myself to love them? And so Jesus is setting this up and look what he goes on to say is he's about to commission his apostles in verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. So he's telling them, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, I never really caught this and I, I missed this, but this was just revelation to me as I began reading this. That's the end of Matthew chapter 9, the beginning of Matthew chapter 10, you can just really read through it and really miss the miracle that just took place. Look what Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 said. It says, Then Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. So literally the next verse later, the next chapter, we see in verse 37 and 38 that Jesus tells them to pray for workers to send into the harvest. Well, what just took place in Matthew chapter 10? It says Jesus called his 12 disciples and empowered them. So the thing that he called them to pray for, I can tell you the apostles began to pray for just hundreds of of people to come around them, to go in and do the work. See, this is what I want you to see and what the amazing thing is about prayer. As many times what we're praying for, we're praying for the circumstance. Prayer has a way when it's uh, fueled by the Holy Spirit to not necessarily change the circumstance, but to change you. See, what happened there, the circumstance didn't change that we need more workers. He then empowered his disciples to go and do the work, gave them the authority, the fuel, the tools that they needed to go do the work themselves. I'm telling you, when you begin to pray and you begin to get in the presence of God, things begin to be turned upside down and shifted and changed where the thing that you're praying for, what the Holy Spirit will do, he will strengthen you to face the circumstance, not necessarily change the circumstance. That's how good he is. And that's what he did here. He empowered them to go and to reach the harvest. And so I want you to see this in Colossians chapter 3. And it's just as blunt as it gets of what a life, of where Jesus is at the center, the Holy Spirit has taken up full residence, that this is what our lives should begin to look like as the Holy Spirit is transforming us. Look what Colossians 3 has to say. And I want to just take some time And really read through it. This is the NIV version. Sean, if you could actually put the message version in. And as you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and read it from here. Because I like the way that it says it. Because it's so blunt. In verse 3, it says this. It says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ. Look what it says. It says, act like it. It says, pursue the things over which Christ presides. So it's saying you need to pursue that which looks like him. It says, don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. It says, on the other hand, look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. In verse 3, it says this. It says, you're old. Life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. Everyone say that. He is your life. When Christ, and then it's reminding us, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up to the real you'll show up to the real you, the glorious you. It says, Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. We could stop there and preach that for a while because we live in a world that wants to always be discovered. We have this pursuit of fame, of notoriety, of fortune, where it's saying that, hey, be content with obscurity. And let me say this too the Holy Spirit can do so much more in obscurity than He can do when your life is public or in front of people. That many times when you see the great stages, the great pulpits of life, it can be, I want that. I want to be seen. I want to be noticed. But what you always see, and this is what's amazing about Jesus' ministry, is when Jesus would pe- re- preach repentance, people would kind of go away. But when he would begin to do miracles, people would flock toward him. So you see the contrast. When the truth of repentance is being preached, people are like, I really don't want to hear that, Jesus. But hey, when he began to do miracles, crowds would gather around him. So the heart of Christ, even what he would say when miracles was, was, would happen, he would say, don't tell anyone what just took place. The time isn't, isn't right yet. So Jesus was one who was, would teach and would live in this place of obscurity, that that was his motive in things. It wasn't to be seen or put on a show for people. Look what he goes on to say. It says, and the means killing off everything connected, next scripture, connected with the way of death. So it's saying your old life is dead. You need to begin to live in the reality of your new life. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't remind you of your past. That's your spiritual enemy. The Holy Spirit reminds you of now who you are in yeah. this new life. Yeah. See, many times we're way too sin conscious when we should yeah. be son and daughter conscience. And when we're son and daughter conscious, the things of the old life just have a way of not being attractive, of not have uh, desire in our lives anymore. So it lists that these are the ways of death. Sexual promiscuity, impurity, lust, doing whatever you feel like whenever you feel like it. I think some of us could hear that this morning. And it says, and grabbing whatever attracts your fancy. It says that's a life that's shaped by the things and feelings instead of God. So it's saying the core of your life, don't let it be just based off emotion or going after what you feel or what you want, but it needs to be based off God. Next scripture. It says, it's because of this kind of thing that God is about to explode in anger. Now, hear what he he says by anger. It says, it wasn't long ago that you were doing all that stuff and not knowing any better. Parents, when your kids are doing things and they don't know better, you don't explode in anger. But you do explode in anger when they continue to do the same thing and are even defiant about it. So it's saying this position of anger from God is that you know better, yet you're still doing this thing. That's where it's coming from. It says, but you know better now, so make sure it's all gone for good. Well, what needs to be gone for the Holy Spirit to be welcomed in our life? Well, let's see. It says a bad temper, irritability, meanness. That's why I was saying when you get in the presence of God, it takes the edge off of you. It takes irritability out. You're more patient with people. It takes a a temper that just wants to explode out of you when you feel you're done wrong. It, It takes profanity Dirty talk. Verse 9, it says, it goes on to say, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. Right. And then it, it gives the imagery of this. It says, it's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you put on and you have stripped off and you've put it in the fire. It says, now in this new life filled with the Holy Spirit, now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom made by the Creator with his label on it. All the old fashions are now obsolete. Your old life should be obsolete. That's the place the Holy Spirit wants to get that reality in our lives. Verse 11, words like Jewish and non-Jewish, religious and irreligious, insider and outsider, uncivilized and uncouth, slave and free mean nothing. From now on, everyone is defined by Christ. Everyone is included in in Christ. This is what it's saying, from the worst of sins you can imagine to the telling of a white lie, that the grace of God can cover and empower and transform every single sin, every darkness, every old way of life, every work of the flesh. It says, so chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe. So this is where he's saying, you now have to dress and put on the Holy Spirit each and every day. So as we're dressing in the Holy Spirit Here's what it's to look like when you're walking, when you're spirit-led, and when you're spirit-fed. Here's what it says. It says you should have compassion. You should have kindness, humility. There should be a quiet strength about you. There should be discipline in your life. It says be even-tempered, content with second place. I think we struggle with that too. Someone else may be getting the credit, but there's a contentment in your life. Quick to forgive and offense, Forgive as quickly and as completely as the master has forgiven you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. So it's saying at the core of all this, if you don't have love, none of this is going to work. As I said, the Holy Spirit moves best when you are motivated by love. It says, it's your basic, all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune. Anybody want to be in tune? It's the worst thing when you hear something out of tune. The Spirit of God keeps you in tune with each other. It's talking in Christian community now. In step with each other. None of this going off and doing your own thing. Cultivate thankfulness. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty room in your lives. Instruct and direct one another using good common sense. And sing, sing your hearts out to God. Let every detail in your lives, your words, your actions, whatever it be, be, let it be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. This is what a life that welcomes the Holy Spirit when you get down to the nitty gritty of it. When you begin to see the Holy Spirit say, this is your old way that brings death. This is my new way that now brings life. Let me transform you. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit so that we would be image bearers, that we would become who Christ is by, by nature through grace. When the grace is deposited into your life, you should become more like Christ, like who he is. And so as the worship team comes, I wanna spend some time and I want us to welcome the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want you to hear this quote. And this quote actually comes from Catherine Kuhlman who was an icon of someone who allowed the Holy Spirit to so flow through them and move through them. I think I have a quote that you can put on the screen there, Sean, but it says this. It says that God isn't looking for golden vessels. He's not looking for silver vessels, but what he is looking for is yielded vessels. That the way you welcome the Holy Spirit is that you have a posture of always yielding. Now think about when you yield, when you're getting onto an on-ramp. You have to come to a stop and be vigilant about the cars that are coming, and then you yield in. See, when you know the Holy Spirit has preferences, when you know he has... A a still small voice that you want to lean into and hear when you know he has a personality you want to be keen to that and you want to yield that you not grieve him because you love him so much and you know he loves you and so as we sing this this morning i want it to be your heart's cry that you check your motives and you say that holy spirit i want to welcome you into my life this morning i tell you when you ask the holy spirit to be welcome, he starts messing some things up in your lives. I told you the presence of God is, is what we don't realize a lot of the times is it's usually a place where things begin to die. But the Holy Spirit is like the anesthesia that you've seen when someone getting their wisdom tooth out and they have the laughing gas and they're laughing. It's as though there's great pain going on, but the Holy Spirit brings a joy to it because of what's taking place. The rotten tooth or the, the, the what needs to be removed has to be taken out, but it's usually painful. But the Holy Spirit inserts joy in the middle of it. So this morning, if you would stand, I want to pray with you. And then I want us just to engage with the Holy Spirit this morning. If you would bow your head and close your eyes. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you that you reveal and intensify Jesus in our lives. We thank you for your gifts. We thank you for a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Father, this morning, we want to live lives that don't reject you, but that welcome you. Every day of our life, every moment of our life. God, anything that is of our own nature, that's still within us, God, we want to bring to you and say, we're done with it. We're tired of petting it. We're tired of coddling it. We want it to be broken and cut off from our lives. We want to put on the garments of the new life that you've given us. Holy Spirit, we want to give you full reign in our lives and fill us, refresh us, pour yourself out upon us this morning. God, we don't want to be content with the things of this world, but we want to be content with you and only you. God, as we worship you, allow your presence to fill us in this place. In Jesus' name.